Hear the Gospel of our Saviour Christ according to Matthew, chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. While Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves and said to them on the way, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favour of him. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were three blind men sitting by the roadside. <clears throat> when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly ordered them to be quiet, but they shouted even more loudly, Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Jesus stood still and called them, saying, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they regained their sight and followed him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
Christianity has been around for a long time, and you maybe um, you know we send materials out, and you might get involved in Christianity, but you might struggle to actually talk for ten minutes on like on what we actually do. And I know that in a couple of minutes this afternoon it would be impossible for me to outline everything. And um, so don't worry, I'm not going to try and do that. I'm not going to give you the vision statement or any of that. And um, but what I am going to say is just a couple of things that have struck me since joining Christianity, the things that I have learned about the heart of the organisation rather than really about the kind of what and wherefores. So first of all, for me, that oh, maybe this doesn't work. Oh, if I turned it on, it might help, wouldn't it? There you go. So one of the things that really strikes strikes me about Christianity is the desire to care for the most vulnerable people in the world. And this lady is Fatuma. She and with Rosamond Bennett, who's our CEO, and Fatima is in Kenya, and she's showing Rosamond the kale that she had been growing in a communal garden. But because of the drought that is occurring across lots of parts of East Africa, and um, this is how the kale has ended up shriveled and brown and not, and there's not very much of it. Um, and Fatima is uh, somebody that we may never have heard of, apart from this story, we may never have seen her picture. But of course it's the Fatimas of the world, that's why Christianity exists, wanting to seek out who are the most vulnerable people, whether that is someone who is vulnerable because of climate change impacting their way of life, whether it's someone who has a disability and so can't access services, whether it's a refugee fleeing um, uh, uh, into a, a camp in Cox's Bazaar, whoever it might be, that desire to seek out the most vulnerable people and the marginalised groups and help people to realise um, and to uh, live out a full life. I really love the determination that I really love the determination to get to the root of the problem. Um, and so in Christian aid, oh, there we go, maybe it's gone now. Brilliant, thank you. In Christian aid, we want to ask why. Why does injustice keep persisting? Why are people living in poverty? Why is it why are things not changing? What are the underlying reasons? And so that's why we get involved in advocacy, which can be long and slow, as many of you will know. So for example, we've been calling on um, the Irish government and the UK government and governments around the world to do more to tackle climate change. And for a long time, campaigning on that, wanting to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and to provide financial support for countries like Kenya, um, who are seeing the effects of the choices that maybe we have made over a long period of time. And um, over the past couple of years, we, along with other organizations, lobbied for a loss and damage fund um, and 26,000 people around the UK and Ireland joined that petition, joined that call, and it was discussed at the COP uh, conference back in November. And it was touch and go, it was right to the wire. And the very last night, they agreed the loss and damage fund. And I mean, that was a massive deal for us and for the others who have been part of lobbying for that. We were delighted that moved to tears when we heard that that had been agreed because we feel it's so important. But of course, that is just the next step, and now we have to ensure that that loss and damage fund will actually do what it's supposed to do and will reach the most vulnerable people like the Fatimas of the world. It's a journey, but I think that's so important to get at the root of the problem. I, oh, I'm missing a slide. Okay, well, um, 
and I think that over the years Christian Aid has um, been provocative, tried to provoke thoughts um, and challenge, particularly for Christians. Um, and I have a really lovely slide which may appear later on, and we'll be able to enjoy it then, um, which puts together lots of posters that Christian Aid has used over the years. I think we're 75 years old, so it's quite a lot of posters to choose from. And on the face of it, they're fine, but if you read them and think about them, they actually make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. So they say things like, ignore the poor and they'll go away. But the picture is of lots of crosses marking graves. They don't go away because they've given up, they, they really go away because maybe they died in their poverty. Um, and things like that. So and I can't remember the others, but I love, I think that um, it's a good thing that we have been able to challenge the church over the years, challenge Christians to think about unjust structures in the world, to think about our wealth and what we our responsibility is to do with that um, around the world, um, to provoke people to think um, more broadly than what we see in the day to day. And sometimes that makes us maybe a slightly unpopular, um, but I think it's important that we have that voice. And lastly, I really love the motivation that comes from being rooted in God's word. The belief that all people are created in God's image and worthy of dignity and hope as a result of that. And it was this belief that motivated us in 1945 when we were set up by lots of Christian denominations in the UK and Ireland at the end of the Second World War to respond to the refugee crisis. And it's that same <coughs> motivation that still uh, is part of our DNA today. When we look at the world around us, we are heartbroken and angry. We see the injustice and the inequality that persists, and we recognize that we all have a part to play to create a fairer world. Our Christian faith calls us to reimagine what the world could look like, and moved with that conviction, we strive to bring that vision about, and we invite people all across Ireland to be part of that movement for justice. So those are a couple of the things that strike me about Christian aid. Um, uh, over the years and the things that I really appreciated learning about. And I did bring some magazines and things which can give you a bit more of the, the what does that look like on the ground which um, are at the back of the computer if you want to take those. And I did bring our uh, strategy document if you're that way inclined to <coughs> that kind of um, read. It's a fascinating read, good for a cup of tea in bed at night. So, when I was thinking about what to say tonight and um, came back to this phrase, the cruel edges of the world, um, I think it fits in the time of Lent when we look forward to uh, Christ's suffering on the cross, that he suffered um, at the hands of people. He suffered the cruel, uh, what people are, are capable of in the world. Um, but this is a phrase I read a few years back in an article, it's quite an old article now actually, by Andy Crouch and Christianity Today, um, and it's always stayed with me. So hold that, the cruel edges of the world. And I'm going to read, oh look, I see the poster's in completely the wrong place. <laughs> so there you go. No one's hungry. No, go away. from Psalm 27, see if you're going to try. To go back. Need to go back. It doesn't matter. You know what? I've got the words here. Oh, there we go. There we are. So Psalm 27, 1, 2, 3. I'm going to read this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord 
the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. What does this mean? What does it mean to you? We can spiritualize it in a manner of speaking when wicked people advance against me, because I've never experienced that exactly. I don't think I've ever had wicked people physically advancing towards me. But I have maybe felt attacked at times in my mind or spiritually under attack. Or maybe I've been oppressed by a sense of anxiety. I've never had an army besiege me, but perhaps it was like that time when I felt really, really anxious and worried. I have felt majorly discouraged at times, and some people have been quite nasty to me on several counts. So maybe I can take some encouragement from these verses for that situation. Now, of course, I don't mean to belittle those feelings or sentiments. I'm sure we've all felt discouraged. We've all felt anxious. And there's great encouragement to be had in God's word when we feel those ways and experience those things. But whilst we don't know exactly when this psalm was written by David, we do know that there were several periods of time when it could have been because he had a lot of experience of literally running from enemies, fleeing from harm, these violent and murderous people who hated him. He knew what it was to run from those trying to devour him. So when he wrote this, the physical risks were likely very real. Okay, park that. I want you to think about a young girl called Elizabeth. She's from Thailand. She's 15 years old. And the summer's coming up, and she would like to get a job to help support her family. Um, she's not sure what job to do, but uh, a friend of a friend says, oh, I know of a job. It's in the next city. I will take you there, and you can work there for the summer. Sounds great. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And it is. So Elizabeth, but she goes with this person, she's put on a train, she notices, oh, that person's gone, but someone else is now kind of taking me and showing me where to go. Um, and eventually she is delivered to a door, to a building. And it turns out it's a brothel. And they say, well, now you're, you belong to us. We actually paid for you. So until you can pay us back, you're going to do what we ask of you. No, I don't want to do that. No, that's not what I signed up for. I was going to work in a restaurant. I don't need to do this. Well, we paid for you. And unless you can pay us back, you're staying here. She tried to refuse, um, but they uh, withheld food from her, basically, until she gave in. And so she began to have to uh, service lots of men every day. She was a Christian, she was a Christian family, and she would pray in the brothel that God would rescue her. Um, and she was rescued uh, by IGEM, by the police, worked together, and there was a rescue operation, and she was brought to freedom. And whenever they went to rescue her, they found um, words on the wall of the room that she lived in, in the brothel. And when they translated it, it was, it was these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. I think that's amazing that she was holding on to these words 
while she was being forced to have sex with different men every day for someone else's gain. And she held on to these words. She was in a place where she felt on the edge, felt that the cruelty of what other people were capable of. And she felt the meaning of these, but held on to the Lord as the stronghold of her life. The guy who wrote the article, Andy Crouch, he talks about a Bible that was designed for young girls. It's called the Revolve Bible. Um, and there was uh, lots of jazzy things put into the Revolve Bible, you know, little snippets and pictures and stories and different things, you know, to make it really engaging um, for young girls. And he said, but now activist organizations are discovering God on the cruel edges of the world. On the cruel edges of the world, there is no need for elaborate explanations to bring a distant biblical text closer to our lives. Rather, when we go to the cruel edges of the world, we bring our lives closer to the text. When someone like Elizabeth writes, the Lord is the strength of my life, it is not in a manner of speaking. We live in a society that drives publishers to create a profusion of Bibles for people who consider a profusion of options their birthright. But in the end, the Bible is not a makeup mirror casting a flattering soft light and showing us mostly ourselves. It is a window into a larger world, into an Elizabeth's world, full of tragedy and hope. The world where God's word becomes flesh. So again, this is not about belittling the experiences that you and I have had um, and are having and the things that we feel and the things that we face. But it is about broadening our perspective to ensure that we don't miss the context that the Bible was written in and what that might mean for the world that we live in today. And as mission organizations, we are here to serve people all over the world, many of whom live on the cruel edges of the world. And so we can absolutely help you in your context to connect, to explore, to be challenged and to bring that broader perspective and to, your, to you and to your congregations. See us as the resource that we are to help bring that the cruel edges all that bit closer. <coughs> and so in Christian context, I was thinking about the recent earthquake in Turkey and in Syria, and we're working in Northwest Syria, we've been there since 2012. And obviously there have been a lot of issues in Syria even before this um, earthquake happened. Millions of people displaced due to conflict, lots of people living and of aid. People forgotten trying to eke out a life and provide for their families in very challenging circumstances. But we are there providing <coughs> for people on these this very cruel edge of the world. Or perhaps those in East Africa, like I spoke about now. This is um, you know, nearing famine conditions in parts of East Africa, but it's not really being on the news anywhere near as much as some of the other emergencies that you might see. Um, but there's been long-term drought and in certain parts of it and climate change is just creating more extreme weather patterns and less predictable weather patterns for people who are then living hand to mouth. The consequences are huge with communities being displaced as livestock have to move around to get water and food, children not able to attend school, uh, women forced to leave their kids and walk to search for water and the hunt for food has also created extra conflict. But of course, we also believe there's always hope. And all the time we see stories of hope, things to remind us um, of the God that we serve, the God of justice that we serve. 
And then for the last uh, number of years, we've been funding village savings and loan schemes, giving small direct funding where people can use it to start uh, and start a new business and diversify their income or livelihoods so that they can better withstand um, the droughts or the extreme weather that happens.